0: Well, maybe it wants the single most familiar, and yet when it comes to contemporary preaching, perhaps unemphasized truths in all of the New Testament. We see them everywhere in the pages of our New Testament, little, little prepositions attached to the word Christ. So, in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, with Christ. Hundreds of times in the Bible these these phrases appear. Over the centuries, this teaching has become known as the doctrine of union with Christ. And this doctrine is not only taught in prepositions, in Christ, by Christ, with Christ, through Christ. It's not only taught in prepositions, but it's also taught in pictures when you think about it. Some of the most vivid pictures we have in the Bible. The experience of our union with Christ is like that of a vine and branches. We're united to Christ like a head is united to a body. We're united to Christ like a temple cornerstone is attached to the living stones of the building. We're united to Christ like a groom and a bride. We're united to Christ even like the clothing that is on our our body. And given the amount of New Testament teaching on these, these portraits and this doctrine, I suspect it is impossible to actually exhaust the imagination as it relates to how we conceive of this. In fact, I think that the New Testament, with those pictures, is practically daring us to come up with some images of our own. One Christian leader many years ago who did take up this challenge was a, a man by the name of Ray Ortland Sr., His son pastors a church in Nashville today, but uh, Ray Ortland Sr. is a a man who's been with the Lord a handful of years now. In 1980, when I was a preschooler, he wrote a book entitled Circle of Strength, and the subtitle of that book runs this way, become what you were meant to be, a Christ-enclosed Christian. Doesn't that sound Fantastic. A Christ-enclosed Christian. That is not just fantastic. That's provocative as far as I'm concerned. Don't you want to be that way? I have news for you. If you are a Christian, it is that way. There's no other kind of Christian than a Christ-enclosed Christian Christian. Now, as I mentioned, Ray Orland Sr. clearly was a man whose sanctified imagination was absolutely swept away with the doctrine of union with Christ. Just listen to what he says here. We're in him the way a baby's in a womb, but better. We're in him the way a moth is in a chrysalis, but better. We're in him the way a deep sea diver's in his diving suit, but better. We're in, we're in him the way birds are in the air or fish, fish are in the sea but better. And then he wonderfully invites his readers, can you think of ways that we're united to Jesus Christ? And then he says, none of them measure up to all of the wonderful things it means for a believer to be in him. Amen and amen, it's true. Because those are just images. The the New Testament realities are even more precious. We are regenerated in Christ. We're adopted in Christ. In Christ. We are justified in Christ. We are sanctified in Christ. One day we'll be glorified in Christ. The costliest pearls in the New Testament, all of them are strung together for us, courtesy of union with Christ. John Calvin once said We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he's done and suffered. For the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. That's true too. The Bible says that we are in Christ, though, before the ages began. And if in Christ before the ages began, then it's also true if you're a believer that you were in him in the moment of his incarnation. You were in him throughout his perfect life. You were in Him at the moment of His suffering and His death on the cross, in His burial, not to mention His resurrection and ascension, which brings us to the subject at hand. Good Friday. The day that we remember the suffering and death of Jesus on a Roman torture device for all who would turn from their sin and put their faith in Him as their Savior and Lord and treasure. We're accustomed to recognizing the death of Christ Alone on Good Friday, and we are right to do so. However, because of the doctrine of a believer's union with his Lord, we can say more. Here's the big idea tonight Good Friday marks the celebration of Christ's death, and if you're a Christian, yours as well. Good Friday marks the celebration of Christ's death, and if you are a Christian, yours. As well. There's a sermon outline on the reverse side of your uh, order of service this evening. Two points tonight. The second point follows hard on the heels of the second, of the first. They're both deeply rooted in this amazing biblical doctrine of union with Christ. So here's the first point tonight If you are a Christian, you are united to Jesus Christ. Therefore, when he died for sin, you died to sin. If you are a Christian, by definition, you are united to Jesus Christ. And therefore, when he died for sin, you died to sin. And if you have a Bible, I'll invite you at this time to open it to Romans chapter 6. If you're using one of the red Bibles from underneath the seats in front of you, it's page 942 in the red Bibles. 942 in those red Bibles if you need to look onto one tonight. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 to 8. I understand this is where Calvary has been recently, the book of Romans. We won't stay here for long, but we'll begin here. Romans chapter 6, I'll read the first eight verses. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Now, we could continue on into Romans chapter 16, but you get the flavor, right? Paul says it once, he says it half a dozen times. We have died to sin. Buried with him by baptism into death. United with him in a death like his. Our old self was, was crucified with him. We are those who have died. We have died with Christ. Do you believe it? The Bible says so. If you're a Christian, you're united to Jesus Christ. And therefore, when he died for sin, you died to sin. Consider Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. In Galatians 2, 19 and 20, Paul writes, For for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There he goes again. I hope this language lands on you tonight. I died. A living man says this. I have been crucified with Christ. Have you? If you're a Christian, you have. You say, well, I haven't exactly died to sin, but I did feel kind of faint once. (laughs) Paul's not suggesting a, a swooning, at sin here he's declaring outright death to sin john stott once wrote it is as if having nailed our old nature to the cross we keep wistfully returning to the scene of its execution we begin to fondle it to caress it to long for its rescue even to try to take it down again from the cross We need to learn to leave it there, says John Stott. How different the perspective of the Apostle Paul from our perspective. Galatians 6.14 where he writes, But far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now let's be clear, in spite of all of this, nowhere does the Bible teach what we might call perfectionism. Perfectionism, that's the notion that this side of heaven, that a Christian could possibly be sinless before we take our last breath. This is simply not in the cards for us. The Apostle John makes that abundantly clear in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And nevertheless, in the very next verse, 1 John 2 1, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And why would he talk that way? Well, because of a truth like Colossians two twenty, which says, With Christ you died. Or in Colossians three three we read, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Just because we cannot be, cannot be, sinlessly perfect in this life, is that any reason not to aim at it? We often say Nobody's perfect. Like somehow that matters or is relevant. We even joke about it, right? The, the phrase, po buddy's nerfict. You ever heard that? It's very clever. It's just like I, I can't even say that phrase right, right? Well, po buddy's you know. Well, that's not altogether true, is it now? Jesus was perfect. And he explicitly commands us. In Matthew 5:48, you must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yes, he does. We all too often play the nobody's perfect card when we ought to be far more honest and just play the I've decided to make peace with my sin card. That would be a bit more forthright, wouldn't it? I think we tend to minimize the biblical teaching here. I do. Listen to the flow of Paul's thought in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 15. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 15, Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He died for all. Therefore all have died. It's a one-to-one correlation. He died for you so that you would die. Good Friday marks the celebration of Christ's death, and if you're a Christian, yours as well. If you are a Christian, you are united to Jesus Christ, and therefore, when Christ died to sin, or when Christ died for sin, you died to sin. Second point tonight, and we'll make application here to our lives. If you are a Christian, You are united to Jesus Christ and therefore, by the Spirit's power, you can and must kill your sin. If you are a Christian, you are united to Jesus Christ and therefore, by the Spirit's power, you can and you must kill your sin. Again, we want to keep these deaths together on a night like this. Christ's death and our death. Co-crucifixion, in union with Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. Charles Spurgeon once put it this way. The best preaching is we preach Christ crucified. The best living is we are crucified with Christ. The best man is a crucified man. The more we live beholding our Lord's unutterable griefs, we understand how fully he has put away our sin, the more holiness we produce. The more we dwell where the cries of Calvary can be heard, where we can view heaven, earth, and hell all moved by his wondrous passion, the more noble will our lives become. Nothing puts life into men like a dying Savior. Spurgeon says, get you close to Christ And carry the remembrance of him about you from day to day, and you will do right royal deeds. Come, let us slay our sin, for Christ was slain. Come, let us bury all our pride, for Christ was buried. Come, let us rise to newness of life, for Christ has been risen. Now, that's the danger of reading Spurgeon. You move from Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday in the space of one sentence. But this is biblical, of course, imminently biblical. Our central focus tonight is on mortification, on the killing of our sin. If it were Easter, we'd tackle what the Puritans called vivification, growing in Christ-likeness. We'll look at both of them in our church this coming Sunday with Colossians chapter 3. But these realities are two sides of the same coin. For our purposes tonight, as we make application and we take a look at the scriptures on this topic, let's just focus in on, on mortification the slaying, the killing of our sin. Let's first of all see that this is a biblical category as well as a biblical expectation for us. We've already heard it uh, when we read Romans 6.6. 6, so I'll just remind us of it. Romans 6.6 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. And that is one of the most important sentences in the Bible. I'll read it again for us. Romans 6.6. 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, if, if you can hold this conception in your mind over time, over the arc of your Christian life, you are going to grow as a Christian. On the one hand, Paul says in Colossians 3.3, if you're in Christ, you have died. Then he follows that up not two verses later in Colossians 3.5 with put to death what is earthly in you. That's weird. That's a strange set of commands. You died to sin, now kill it. You died, now kill it. You say, I, I thought I was dead. I know. <laughs> That's the New Testament language for sanctification. Paul simply leaves these realities tied up and in tension with one another. And he leaves them for us to wrestle with. Now, J.I. Packer happens to be a master of unpacking, if you'll excuse the pun, and untying biblical thought. So listen to how Packer unfolds what Paul says in Romans 6.6. 6. Again, Romans 6.6. 6, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. How do we understand that? Well, here's here's Packer's effort and it's a really heroic effort. Packer says this, The sin that indwells believers was killed in principle on the cross. Christ's death will in time be its death. It was dethroned, in fact, by regeneration. And now, with the Spirit's aid, the Christian is to spend his lifetime draining its lifeblood. Now, that's gruesome, but that's right on the money. This is why the Christian life is hard, by the way. I trust you've experienced this. It's inevitable, if you're in Christ, that you've experienced this. In fact, one of the greatest assurances of your salvation that God offers you is your daily battle with sin. And it's one of the greatest tricks the devil to get you to think that when you're wrestling with temptation and sin, that means you must not be a Christian. It's precisely the reverse. He's a master of lies. He's the father of lies. Only Christians wrestle with sin. Only Christians can participate in the mortification, the killing of sin. If you're in a daily battle with pride, envy, sinful anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, lust, you can tell we just did a series on the seven deadly sins here. This is on my mind. Or any other sins. If you're in that daily battle, it's not an evidence that you're not a Christian. It's an evidence that you are a Christian. Please take heart tonight if you are fighting the good fight of faith. If you are walking and then sometimes stumbling and falling, losing your bearings, getting up again, walking, jogging, running, slowing, losing your balance, face planting, hurting yourself, crying out, crawling, getting back up, walking again, that is the Christian life. Welcome to the Christian faith. You know you're a Christian, not by the perfection of your life, but by the direction of your life. What direction are you headed this evening? Did you fall down? Get up. Get up. Get back on your feet and start walking again. You say, how? Romans 8.13 is how. Romans 8.13 is how. It says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do we put sin to death? By the Spirit. Through the Spirit. John Owen once said, you knew I'd get there. John Owen said this not to be daily mortifying sin is to sin let me say that again not to be daily mortifying sin is to sin against the goodness kindness, wisdom, grace and love of God who has furnished us with the principle of doing so through his Holy Spirit Owen goes on to say, the choicest of believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. So Owen asks us, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Now if time permitted, I'd give us more specifics, but we are well taught in these churches and we can pick this up in discipleship relationships and small groups and so on into the days ahead. Allow me just to conclude with this particular point in point two, and that's that if you're, you're with us tonight and if you're not sure if you are a Christian, if that's you, I want you to know, first of all, I am really glad that you're here. You're in the right place tonight. Or perhaps you came in these doors fully aware of the fact that you're not a believer. Or perhaps over the course of this sermon you've become deeply convicted of your sin. Maybe you even profess faith in Christ. But what we're describing here, um, professing your death in Christ, your co-crucifixion with him, the mortification of your sin, this has not been grist for your Christian mill over your Christian profession. And you're not sure what to do at this point. Well, I would just simply appeal to you with this. The message of the gospel is not behave for Jesus. It's believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. That Just as we sung a few moments ago, Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. It's his life, it's his death, it's his resurrection that counts as the ground of our acceptance before a holy God. And if you know that you need Him, if you want Him, and you desire to turn from your sin toward Him, you can have Him. You can have Him tonight by grace through faith alone. And I'll tell you what, God won't merely justify you from your sin, although He'll do that. He'll justify you in Jesus. He'll do you one better. He'll join you to Jesus. He'll unite you to His Son. You will become one with him. And as we like to say in this church a lot, the grace of God is not just about pardon for your sin, it's about power to live over your sin in the strength that God supplies. God isn't merely in the business of forgiving us through Christ. He's also in the business of giving us new lives in Christ. Galatians 5, 24 to 25 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you're united to Jesus Christ. Therefore, by the Spirit's power, you can and you must kill your sin. Well, let's review. Good Friday marks the celebration of Christ's death, and if you're a Christian, yours as well. If you are a Christian, you're united to Christ, and therefore, two things. Number one, when he died for sin, you died to sin. And secondly, by the Spirit's power, you can and you must kill your sin to put it to death. Wouldn't it be remarkable that if tonight... You not only celebrated the crucifixion and burial of your Savior, but also the crucifixion and burial in real time of the sin that so easily besets you this evening. Again, not the perfection of your life, but the direction of your life. Are you heading toward heaven? Does your relationship with sin bear witness to that? You can't take it with you. You know that, right? There's no sinning in heaven. Hebrews 12:14 reminds us that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, it's possible that no one in church history has said it more clearly than the 19th century pastor J.C. Ryle, and with this quote, I'll close. He has an exquisite book entitled Holiness that he wrote in 1874, And in this book, Holiness, Ryle says the following. It's my favorite quote, so Mount Church is going to have to bear with it because you've heard it before. This is what Ryle says. Sanctification is absolutely necessary in order to train and prepare us for heaven. Most men hope to go to heaven when they die, but few, it may be feared, take the trouble to consider whether they would enjoy heaven if they got there. Heaven is essentially a holy place. Its inhabitants are all holy. Its occupations are all holy. To be really happy in heaven, it is clear and plain that somewhat we must be trained for it and made ready while we are still on the earth. We must be saints before we die if we are to be saints afterward in glory. The favorite idea of many that dying men need nothing except absolution and forgiveness of sin to fit them for their great change is a profound delusion. We need the work of the Holy Spirit as well as the work of Christ. We need the renewal of the will as well as the atoning blood. We need to be sanctified as well as to be justified. It's common to hear people say on their deathbeds, I only want the Lord to forgive me my sins, take me to my rest. But those who say such things forget that the rest of heaven would be utterly useless if he had no heart to enjoy it. And then Ryle asks this question. What could an unsanctified man do in heaven if by chance he got there? Let that question be fairly looked in the face and fairly answered. No man can possibly be in his element. And where all around him, all things are not congenial to his tastes and habits and character. This is how he finishes. When an eagle is happy in an iron cage. When a sheep is happy in the water, when an owl is happy in a blaze of noonday sun, when a fish is happy on the dry land, then, and not till then will I admit that the unsanctified person could be happy in heaven. End quote. Isn't that beautiful? He's right. So don't leave here tonight holding close anything that's forbidden. Let's not live anymore for the sins for which Christ died to deliver us. Good Friday marks the celebration of Christ's death and if you're a Christian yours as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven we thank you for the great gift of the scriptures. If the scriptures did not say such things we wouldn't think or preach such things. We so depend on the light of the word of God. Lord, would you help us to mull on these truths, to meditate on these truths? Would you give this message just an extra lifespan in each of our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit? Lord Jesus, when you died for sin, we died to sin. We thank you, O Holy Spirit, that your great design in this life is to fit us for heaven. Thank you at the end of the day that we are accepted not by anything that we do, simply as the ground of our acceptance, a a perfect sacrificial lamb at Calvary in Jesus Christ. But Lord, we will not live for the sins for which you died. Transform us. Make us new. Create in us new hearts, clean hearts, and may we live full tilt into this Easter weekend, out into Easter season, and into the mission you've given us to be and make disciples of Jesus in whose mighty name we pray. Amen.